In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I beg your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we celebrate the feast of Saint Mark the Evangelist. He is arguably the author of the oldest gospel, that of Saint Mark, even though it comes in the order in which it appears in the Bible after Matthew. Who is Mark? Mark is a loyal disciple of the Lord, who then became disciple of St. Peter. Tradition has it that he wrote the Gospel of St. Peter, that he listened to St. Peter preach, and that then the early Christian community asked him to put in writing what he knew of the preaching of St. Peter in essence. It is, a, it is the shortest of all the Gospels, written in very simple language that allows everyone to have access to the mysteries of faith that our Lord transmitted through the Apostle Peter. Who is Mark? Did he know our Lord himself personally? Well, we don't know exactly, but tradition has it that, in fact, his family owned the cenacle where our Lord had the Last Supper and where the apostles gathered together with Mary and the women on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon all of them. Mark, in fact, seems to be the only one who writes or records how a young man at the Garden of Gethsemane was taken by the guards that came to arrest Jesus. And since he had a linen cloth wrapped around his naked body, when they seized him, he somehow fooled them and leaving the linen cloth behind, he fled away from them naked. People think that this is St. Mark inserting himself in, in his own gospel. Um, maybe it's a cameo appearance like Alfred Hitchcock, who knows. But um, it certainly is the only gospel that gives us this, um, this account of this young man who fled naked. It's kind of an embarrassing account. Um, perhaps it was him, perhaps he was there, perhaps he witnessed this very dark moment in our Lord's passion as he was arrested and betrayed by Judas. But regardless, he is, he later on becomes a disciple of St. Paul. He, in fact, in the Acts of the Apostles, it says that he accompanied St. Paul on his first missionary journey and they they went all over but first they went to Cyprus 
and they preached the gospel there. It was a difficult moment there, as always. And perhaps because of the difficulties, perhaps because of tiredness, perhaps because of his character, or as St. Zamaria would say, kind of lack of character, his weakness, and so on, he decided to leave St. Paul and Barnabas and the others halfway. In fact, um, after Cyprus, he decided to turn back, as it says in chapter 13 of the Acts of the Apostles, putting to sea from Paphos, Paul and his companions came to Pergi in Pamphylia. But John, as Mark is known, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they passed through Pergi and reached the Pisidian Antioch. And entering the synagogue on the Sabbath, they sat down. After reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak. Well, St. Mark left them in this work of evangelization and abandoned Paul. Um, We don't know the circumstances, but we do know that Paul um, could have been, as, uh, as we know, he could have been a a marine, uh, especially after reading what happened to him throughout his missionary journeys. You can only we can only imagine how difficult things were. You know when he says, "From the Jews five times I received forty lashes less one, three times I was scourged, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I was adrift." on the sea, in journeys often, in perils from floods, in perils from robbers, in perils from my own nation, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, and so on. You could see that Paul was a tough guy. He he suffered a lot, but he thought all these sufferings were nothing in comparison to what our Lord had in store for him and what needed to be done in order to spread the gospel. He was an amazing guy with an amazing personality, a leader, we could say. And yet, Mark, Mark is weak. Mark leaves him. I mean, maybe Mark was just like you and me. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're just normal. Maybe he was just normal, like, you know, like everybody else. And he couldn't keep up with Paul. And, and Paul got frustrated with him. We know that, in fact, Paul did get frustrated with him because, well, um, when Paul wants to go back on his second missionary journey, Mark says to him, I want to go with you. And Paul says, oh, no, you're not. No, 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 you're not coming with me. No, because you left us. You abandoned us last time, so forget it. You're not coming. And here's the passage from chapter 15 in the Acts of the Apostles. Now sometime after, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in all the cities where we have preached the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. 
but Barnabas wanted to take with them John, also who was surnamed Mark. But Paul asked that he, inasmuch as he had deserted them in Pamphylia, instead of going on with them to their work, should not again be taken along. And a sharp contention sprang up, so that they separated from each other, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, the brethren commending him to the grace of the Lord. And he traveled through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches and commanded them to keep the precepts of the apostles and presbyters. What's going on here? We have a little fight going on among the apostles. That's what's happening. Yes, even saints got into fights. Even saints had tough characters. And we're no exception. They are no exception. But what happens is that Mark perhaps needed to mature. He needed to mature, and maybe he thought he was ready, but Paul didn't think he was ready. And so Barnabas, who was Mark's cousin, you know, gets into a fight with Paul and says, well, I'm going my own way, and see you later. St. John Chrysostom says that those kind of... um, conflicts, you know, among apostles who want to do a good thing ultimately. He says they may be allowed by our Lord in order for the gospel to be preached in more places. Here John Chrysostom is trying to see some good that has come out of this contention. And we could think that that is that that is something that our Lord can do. He can draw good out of our little petty petty conflicts, you know, with, with people we love and, and and people that are also trying to do a very good thing. But the fact is that that we have to we have to have mercy. We have to have mercy with people. And if we can avoid the conflict and the contention, perhaps that is better. This story does not end here. Um, Mark is a saint, and so is St. Paul, and so is Barnabas. What happened to Mark after that? Well, probably Mark, who needed to mature, he probably matured even more after he was rejected by Paul. He probably thought long and hard, you know, as to why Paul didn't allow him to go in the second trip. And he probably was humiliated. He probably, you know, shed a tear or two because he he felt rejected. He probably, I don't know, we can only imagine if that happened to us that we would have a couple of bad thoughts about Paul, you know, saying, you know, he is a blankety-blank or whatever. But whatever we would have done, I don't know, if Mark did, in the end, they reconcile. And that's the good news. And somehow Barnabas also played a role, we, we can only imagine, in reconciling them. And that's how important it is to, to not put people in pigeonholes, to really give them a chance to improve. How do we know that they reconciled? Where, where, what happened later? Well, we, we don't have a lot of uh, scriptural passages where Mark is mentioned, but we have certain clues. We have certain clues. For instance, in the letter of Peter, St. Peter himself mentions Mark. He says, for instance, 
the church which is at Babylon choosing chosen together with you greets you and so does my son Mark Babylon is kind of like a code word for Peter for Rome greet one another with a holy kiss grace be to you all who are in Christ amen so here Peter is in Rome he's saying that the church in Rome greets you and so does my son Mark we 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 can see that Mark is has gone to Peter maybe he couldn't get along with Paul because Paul was too too rough too tough too much of um triple a personality but he got along with Peter and he was faithful to Peter and and that's where the tradition uh, comes from whereby Mark then put the gospel uh, of Peter or, or the memoirs of Peter so to speak into writing and that became the gospel of Mark but what happened to Paul well in in another letter of St. Paul we we hear the following this is um, second letter of Timothy it says make haste to come to me shortly he's writing to Timothy for Demas has deserted me here's another person that deserted Paul again maybe Paul was too tough but here he says because Demas loved the world and has gone to Thessalonica Crescens has gone to Galatia Titus to Dalmatia we don't know why they left him but he says Luke only is with me and then he says take Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for the ministry here St. Paul is saying that Mark is useful now this is second letter to Timothy much this is many years later and and um, you could tell that St. Paul rethought his his relationship with with Mark that somehow he gave him a, a second chance and or even a third chance to actually show his loyalty to Paul and show that he could be useful for the ministry of evangelization. And in fact, Mark, you know, came back to him. And another, in another letter, the letter to the Colossians, we also hear of Mark. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, writes St. Paul, sends you greetings. So does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. And then he writes, Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. I always find this kind of parenthetical um, expression very strange or curious because it says, you know, you have received instructions. You Colossians have received instructions um, about Mark. So if he comes to you, welcome him. What does this imply? I, I think it implies that there were prior instructions that said if he comes to you, don't welcome him, you know. Maybe because he had a, a reputation of having left Paul, of having betrayed Paul, or having deserted Paul, or whatever. I mean, but Mark, you know, reconciles himself with Paul, and Paul with Mark. And this is this is positive. This is very positive. 
we're all encouraged by Mark's life to never get discouraged at our own failures, at our own wretchedness, because we all have, you know, things that frustrate others and frustrate ourselves even. But the fact is that if we had to be born perfect, then, you know, we would we would be so proud. We would never be able to get help from anyone. You know, we really have to think about Mark's life and, and, and apply it to, uh, to our own life, you know, both on the side of Mark and on the side of Paul. Because if we are like the Pauls of the world, where we get so frustrated with people who, who, who are not up to par, you know, maybe we're the melancholic temperament or the triple A kind of um, uh, choleric temperament, we don't have a lot of patience for people. We don't have a lot of patience because, you know, if people are not perfect, then we get all upset and nervous and we don't want to talk to them. And, um, you know, we're very exacting, very demanding. And, you know what, we need to relax. If we're that type of person, we need to relax because we are not perfect either. We're not perfect either. And we have to ask ourselves in our prayer, Lord, what is it about this person that bothers me? constantly, we could say, that makes you want to die for him or her. Why, why, Lord, why do you love this person so much that I may see it so that I can love him or her like you? I mean, after all, that is the new commandment. That is, that is charity. Charity is patient. Charity is kind. Charity, you know, is not that demanding, is indulgent. Here we're going to start the year of mercy, the jubilee year of mercy, as the Pope has declared a couple of weeks ago on Divine Mercy Sunday. Are we ready to have mercy on people? Are we ready to give people some slack? You know, even if we are quote unquote perfect in whatever it is that we do, um, you know, and the people we work with are not, are we ready? Are we ready to take them where they are? To take them as they are? You know, when John Paul II came to the United States for the first time in the 80s, people in the Curia were kind of nervous. Because they said, you know, Holy Father, you know, the youth, you're going to have this youth rally in, in New York and, you know, maybe people won't show up and you know, what will you do? They, they they don't know any of the protocol, you know. And said, so what will you do? You know, they were kind of nervous because they've never had seen a Pope kind of so in touch with the youth and desirous of, you know, dialoguing with them and having kind of a, a get-together, an audience with them. And he said, I will take them as they are. I will take them as they are. And I, I subsequently saw a video of that of that audience that he had in um, in New York, and and the youth there, you know, what did they do? They gave him the best they had. They gave him all the gifts that they wanted, and he and the Pope accepted them with with great desire. They were all in jeans and t-shirt, and so what did they give him? They gave him the best they had. They gave him a t-shirt. <laughs> That's what they thought that the Pope would like, so they gave him a T-shirt. 
Well, go figure. You know, they had no clue as to, I don't know, think of a better gift or think of dressing better or whatever. But fine, he got a T-shirt. That that was the papal gift. Great, wonderful. And John Paul II didn't care. It, it doesn't matter. You know, take them as they are. We have to learn to take people where they are, as they are, however they are. Accept them for you know, with their failings, with their mistakes, with with their slowness. Sometimes they're too slow for us. I always wondered if Mark went to Peter, kind of running to Peter, kind of looking for a wet blanket to cry on because you know he had been rejected by Paul and Peter may understand them better. And in fact, Peter did. And we can only think that Peter did understand Mark better because Peter had failed many times and he was forgiven many times, you know. He was reprimanded by our Lord for having little faith when he was walking on water. And he, then he was sinking. He was reprimanded by our Lord for not having thought along the logic of God but of men when he wanted to have our Lord not go to the cross. And he got reprimanded with these big words, get behind me, Satan. You know, Peter got reprimanded by the look of our Lord after his denials. And then we could say by by our Lord's questions in in John chapter 21 after the resurrection when when he asks him three times do you love me do you love me more than these and peter peter is saddened by that he's kind of like a little reprimand but at the same time it's a it's a good reprimand because our lord forgave him for those three denials with those three questions you know well after all this experience of 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 being you know the the leader of the apostles and at the same time being so gullible and being so such a failure in front of everybody and in front of our lord and and being corrected all the time he he was able to have more mercy he was able to take mark in and say mark don't worry about it i understand you perfectly you know so you fail so what it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you can help me you can be very useful for my ministry and for for God and for everyone. You're accepted for who you are in the church. You know, this is what we have to do. We have to live mercy. Live mercy with everyone. This is what St. Josemaria writes in his chapter on charity, which really is mercy, or an expression of charity is mercy. When you have finished your work, do your brothers helping him for the sake of Christ with such finesse and naturalness that no one, not even he, will realize that you are doing more than injustice you ought. This indeed is virtue befitting a son of God. Or here's another one. You are hurt by your neighbor's lack of charity toward you. Think how God must be hurt by your lack of charity of love toward him. And when we want to be so exacting, demanding, and you know, whatever, you know what? Better think of how I have behaved. Better think of how St. Josemaria reacted when they insulted him. When they insulted him, he would say, that's it. 
They don't really know me. If they really knew me, they would be saying a lot more and a lot worse things. But I, I guess I've gotten off the hook easy because they don't, they've only insulted me, you know, with these insults and not with others that I really deserve. Forgiving others. This is, this is having mercy on them. You know, it's interesting, uh, Paul and Peter also had a little confrontation. Peter messed up because he was discriminating people who came from the from the pagan church. They were pagans that converted to Christianity and and Peter, who was a Jew, he was led astray because he all of a sudden said, oh, he got scrupulous. I better not eat with these people. They're kind of, you know, you can imagine, well, they're not Jews. I, I, feel, I feel uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Once you convert, you're no longer, you know, this or that. You are one in Christ Jesus. That's what St. Paul says, and he emphasizes that all the time. And so Paul wanted to make a fraternal correction to Peter, and, and he stood him to his face, he says. I stood him to his face because he... He was found reproachable because he was discriminating people at table. You know, he didn't want to eat with this person or that person. And he was, he was discriminatory. And, and Peter changed. Peter changed. And, and, and he accepted the correction. In fact, Peter would never have gone to Rome. You know, can, you can only imagine, oh, no, it's full, of, it's full of pagans there in Rome. I'm not going to go to Rome. No, he changed. He went to Rome. And we could say also that Paul changed. He began to see Peter's point of view of what, what, what was Peter trying to safeguard? He was trying to safeguard, well, the scandal of some people who were weak. And that's why Paul later on would say, you know, if you have, if you scandalize your brother because you're eating meats that are sacrificed to the idols, we know that those meats are nothing. That meat is nothing. It doesn't represent anything. You can buy it and eat it. Apparently, the you know when the pagans would sacrifice uh, whatever they sacrificed at a temple, well, they needed to sell all that meat behind the temple at a little market because they didn't know what to do with so many bulls and heifers and goats that were sacrificed. So behind the temple, there will always be a little market, but it, it would be cheaper than getting something that was not sacrificed to the gods. And the Christians who were poor would buy that, you know, those, that meat, you know, because it was cheaper and they didn't have money. But some people were saying, oh, no, we can't eat that because that's a, that has been sacrificed and, you know, we're... And Paul says, look, don't worry about it. Just eat it. It's nothing. I mean, these idols are nothing. Just eat it. And that's fine. But if you scandalize your brother, then don't. Now, Paul is very sensitive to this, to this scandal. And he even says, you know, don't. The previous Paul would probably have said, exercise your right. You can do whatever you want. Just eat it. You know, and no, he's very sensitive now. That's because after making a fraternal correction to Peter, he also changed. And we can only imagine that this episode of, of Mark's desertion changed Paul and helped Mark as well. Both changed. This is something that we have to keep in mind. Having patience with people is, 
is the way we are going to imitate Christ. Let us therefore think, who in my life you know, has ADD? Who near me has ADD? And am I, am I patient with the person who has ADD? Or who near me has OCD, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder? And they, they're neat freaks. Okay, do I have mercy on them? And, and walk the extra mile with them and put everything back the way they want it. You know, if you share a bathroom with a spouse or something and they're a neat freak and you're not, just be a neat freak for them. It doesn't matter, you know. Go the extra mile. Be sensitive to their OCD. I mean, I don't know. Um, whatever. Mercy. Patience. Here's something that, here's a quote from St. Cyprian. Beautiful quote on patience. That can help us draw conclusions in this feast day of St. Mark. Patience makes us valuable and keeps us for God. Patience tempers anger, controls the tongue, governs thought, keeps peace, regulates the norms of life, breaks the onrush of concupiscence, represses the violence of pride, puts off the fire of hatred. It makes us humble in prosperity, strong in adversity, meek against insults and moral damages. It teaches us to pardon immediately those who commit transgressions and to pray fervently at length for him who has been at fault. Patience conquers temptations, bears tribulations and martyrdoms to their end. It gives our faith the firmest foundation. It sees our hope grow to maturity. It directs our actions so that we can stay in the path of Christ as we advance with his help. Finally, it is what makes us persevere as children of God. Well, Paul needed patience with Mark. Mark needed patience with himself. Peter needed patience with everyone in the church. And our Lord has certainly had patience with all of us so that we can follow that example of mercy and of loyalty in the end. Mark is known as a lion. He is depicted as the lion. And I don't know if you've seen in churches in Rome or elsewhere where they have lions at the at the entrance of the door of the church. Why do they have that? Because they thought that lions slept with their eyes open and they guarded the church. And that's what Mark, we could say, did. He remained loyal. He remained vigilant. He remained a defender of the faith, even if he had his little troubles with some apostles and one, two others. It doesn't matter. They all became friends in the end, and they're all helping us and interceding for us from heaven right now. Let us ask Our Lady, as we end our prayer today, to help us learn to do our best, but then be patient with our own failings and with the failings of others, because it is, as St. Paul says, when we are weak, then we are strong because it is the strength of God that will shine through and we will build the church that way. Mother of the Apostles, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, 
St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.